the WJFF studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Chat Skill. I'm Tim Bruno. On today's show, widening Route 17. The Regional Plan Association has evaluated the Route 17 widening project in Orange and Sullivan counties and believe it would be the, quote, worst way to improve the highway. The RPA is a nonprofit conducting research on the environment, land use, and good governance, and advises cities, communities, and public agencies. We'll have a report. WorkShift Live local economist and author James B. Huntington has the latest economic news. Morning Sunshine Market is especially grosser in Ellenville. Erin Shearer reports in her Eating Upstate segment and a Catskills resident stars in an upcoming sci-fi horror movie, Side Effects May Vary, premiering tomorrow at the Calhoun Theater. But first, the news from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. House Republicans say they've drafted impeachment articles against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. They allege he has failed to protect the southern U.S. border. Meanwhile, a bipartisan Senate group could release its proposed immigration reform bill. NPR's Deirdre Walsh says it is a limited measure. This is not any kind of comprehensive immigration reform. It's really a narrow plan designed to reduce the record numbers of migrants we've seen crossing the southwest border. The plan would also include work permits for migrants who are allowed to enter the U.S. and are waiting for their asylum cases to be heard. And it tries to shorten the period for those court cases to as short as six months. And Beers Deirdre Walsh reporting. Oklahoma Republican Senator James Langford is helping negotiate the Senate compromise. Over the weekend, the Oklahoma Republican Party voted to censure him. They say the state GOP won't give Langford any more support because he's jeopardizing American security. A group of Democratic lawmakers is speaking out against an effort by House Republicans. It is to exclude unauthorized immigrants from a key census count of all the people living in the country's states. As NPR's Hansi Lo Wong reports, that effort is entangled with negotiations over how to fund the government and avoid a shutdown after early March. A funding bill by House Republicans would effectively ban the Census Bureau from including unauthorized immigrants in census numbers that the 14th Amendment says must include the, quote, whole number of persons in each state. And tally is used to determine each state's share of congressional seats and electoral college votes. Now in a letter to the leaders of Congress that cites NPR's reporting, Representative Grace Meng of New York and Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii are leading four dozen fellow Democrats in calling for that Republican proposal to be dropped. Last week, Senator Bill Haggerty of Tennessee led 20 fellow Republicans in introducing a similar proposal. Their bill calls for green card holders to also be left out of that key census tally. Hansi Luang, NPR News, Washington. Stocks opened higher this morning as a court in Hong Kong ordered a big Chinese property developer to liquidate. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained about 30 points in early trading. Efforts to restructure hundreds of billions of dollars in debt at China's Evergrande developer have been unsuccessful. Now a court in Hong Kong has ordered the company to liquidate. It's not clear what that will mean for Evergrande's operations in mainland China. Hong Kong's stock index was up overnight, while the Shanghai Composite Index was down. Amazon has called off plans to buy the company behind the robot vacuum cleaner Roomba. The $1.7 billion acquisition of iRobot had been facing rigorous scrutiny in both the U.S. and Europe. And the IRS begins processing 2023 tax returns today. Some 146 million individual returns are expected to be filed before the deadline, which in most places is April 15th. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. On Wall Street, the Dow is now up 31 points. This is NPR. An international sports tribunal has ruled that Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva should be banned from her sport for four years. That's for doping before the 2022 Winter Games in Beijing. Valieva helped the Russian team win first place there. Her positive test was published after she competed. The medals for the 2022 Olympic figure skating team event have not yet been awarded. In Germany, a far-right party whose actions spurred nationwide protests suffered an election defeat over the weekend. It was in a regional election. As NPR's Rob Schmitz reports, 
political observers think it's a sign support for the group could be wavering. The alternative for Deutschland Party or AFD lost a district election in the state of Thuringia on Sunday. Polls leading up to the election indicated the AFD candidate was on the path to win in a region that is a stronghold for the party and its anti-immigrant politics. But in the past two weeks, nationwide protests against the country's far-right anti-immigrant politicians have gained momentum. They were spurred by news of a meeting in November attended by far-right politicians, where a plan to deport the country's migrants was hatched. Voters in Sunday's district election in Thuringia instead elected a center-right candidate from the CDU, the party of former Chancellor Angela Merkel. Rob Schmitz, NPR News. Berlin. Japan's space agency says its moon lander is running again. The probe stopped working for a few days because it's parked upside down. It cannot easily charge its solar batteries. But mission managers say they communicated with the moon probe yesterday. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Subaru. Featuring the 2024 Subaru Forester Wilderness, with 9.2 inches of ground clearance and all-terrain tires for off-road capability. Learn more at Subaru.com/wilderness. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. This is Tim Bruno. The New York State Department of Transportation, along with the Hochul administration, are proposing a $1 billion expansion project to widen 30 miles of Route 17 in Sullivan and Orange counties. The Regional Plan Association looked into the idea of widening Route 17 from Harriman to Monticello and says widening the road could actually be the worst way to achieve the desired improvements in the corridor. The RPA is a nonprofit conducting research on the environment, land use, and good governance, and advises cities, communities, and public agencies. Patricio Rabio has more. The New York State Department of Transportation, Governor Kathy Hochul, is putting forward a $1 billion expansion plan. This project aims to widen a 30-mile stretch of Route 17 in Sullivan County and Orange County. Governor Hochul said a project like this will enhance tourism and economic competitiveness and quality of life for residents and visitors. Recently, the Regional Plan Association released a report stating the potential negative impacts of highway widening projects. The report challenges the assumption that widening highways offers a multitude of benefits, arguing that the projects may not effectively solve congestion and transportation problems. On the program with us now is Dr. Rachel Weinberger, who is a Peter W. Herman Chair for Transportation at Regional Plan Association, and she is a, has over 30 years of transportation planning experience in the public and private sectors and academia. Welcome to the program, Dr. Weinberger. Thanks, Patricio. It's wonderful to be so here. So I gave a brief overview of what has actually happened in our area. Is that a good way to present it, that the state is having this plan to widen the roads in Route 17 in our area in Sullivan, Orange counties to help with the congestion that happens, especially during the summer months, and to drive economic business up here to our area. That's the idea behind the project. And I think that's based on some ideas about transportation that may no longer apply, particularly in New York State. Right. In your report, you talked about something thing called induced demand. Can you explain what that is and how it affects traffic when the roads are widened? Sure. So if you think about transportation as something that people consume or using that's a kind of a consumption, and by by widening or by trying to address the congestion, you want to make the trip faster. And in essence, when you make a trip faster, that is similar to making it less expensive right? It doesn't cost as much time. And so when you make something less expensive, generally more people want it, right? Or want to use it or consume it. So that, in that sense, you're inducing more people to come and use. So you created this new capacity, you made it a faster trip, more people want to do it. So one of the, one of the mistakes I think that the transportation engineers have made o- over the past century, and I am a transportation engineer, so it's my own field that I'm indicting, is 
we don't properly account for that induced traffic, right? We assume, and a lot of times too, just the lane person who's driving their car, they're thinking, oh, if they just added another lane, all this traffic would evaporate. But that assumes that it would be the same number of vehicles, the same number of people and vehicles traveling at that same time. It fails to consider the fact that you've made it cheaper, so you brought more people into the fold. So that's the idea of induced demand. Right. There, there's wider roads. More people can come up here and sort of worsening the problem that we saw trying to solve a little bit with the congestion. The thing I hear most about with the congestion is that idling cars and that will bring more pollution to the area. That's right. And the other thing that happens is even if you don't get a lot more cars over the course of a 24-hour period, let's say if right now it's congested for an hour and you make it wider, then those people at the extremes of the hour are going to condense into the more popular part. A lot of everybody I know says, oh, I'm not going to go at that time because there's too much traffic. I'll go a little bit later or I'm leaving early to beat the traffic. But now you've made it the same travel speed as earlier, so I'm going to go later. So you might, even if you do wind up with just the same number of travelers in any case over a 24-hour period, now you've crunched them into a shorter congested period. And so you still have the same number of vehicles idling for the same period of time. So maybe just go back a little bit here. Tell folks, what is the Regional Plan Association and how did this particular study come about? So Regional Plan Association is, we're in our 101st year, so we're a 101-year-old progressive era good government organization, right? We're an NGO, non-governmental organization, and we look at regional issues. So our region that we look at includes the particular area that, you know, where this expansion would be or this project is, I should say. Let's not assume that it's an expansion. And uh, so essentially we look at transportation, housing, environment, all these kinds of issues, trying to make the the region a better place for all the residents. So because transportation generally is a solid part of our wheelhouse and we look at what the state is spending on transportation projects, we look at projects all around, we found this was in our on our radar, and a lot of the reason for the report was to try to bring a little bit more light to the issue, not so much heat, because it's easy for people to argue and bicker and say, well, you know, yes, it is, no, it's not. So we bring a research orientation and we want to explore some of the issues and try to explain them in a way that helps move this conversation along and allows people to understand that there are potentially alternatives. Right. And currently, from what I understand, is the expansion project plan is in the environmental impact studies stage. But I do notice that there is work being done already in some parts of 17 of what I think is happening is because of this. perfect example is exit 105 here on Route 17 in our area has been changed completely to, to build it up to interstate highway Regulations, standards. I think there are separate projects. Some of the intersection projects may be programmed separately. I don't actually know the exact detail on all of those things. But one of the things that I think is worth mentioning in this particular case is what we see is that there is some congestion some of the time in some parts of the corridor. And I understand that's frustrating, especially to people who have been living there for a long time. Also for people who are just moving there, right? You thought, oh, this is a great place, no traffic, easy to get there. And then it's you and everybody else had the same idea. And all of a sudden it's a whole different story. But when you have, but as I said, some congestion, some parts, some of the time, it turns out by New York State DOT's own estimates, it is all, it's congested about 2% of the time in only particular areas. So some of these projects that you're talking about, particularly intersections, particularly exits, that's where you see the worst problems. And if you have congestion 2% of the time on a three or four mile portion, does it really make sense to add that much additional capacity in the entire corridor? And that's really the question. So can some of these other projects, some intersection improvements as you've seen happening, do those address the issue? You also do wind up with the same induced demand problem that we just discussed, even when you're just fixing or trying to address that, those intersections, 
but still it's a little bit of a lighter touch and would be a more appropriate way to proceed. Right. Uh, the report suggests that other ways to fix the traffic without making roads wider. Can you go give us some details about that, of, of how are you making traffic better without making the roads bigger? I wouldn't say you're going to make traffic better as the starting point, but you might make travel better, right? So one idea is you could make traffic better just by doing those intersection improvements, right? But you could make travel better by doing a different land use configuration. So the thing about roads in low-density areas is roads are perfectly suited to low density. But as you have increasing density, especially as you have just summer communities increasing density there, then you want to rethink the pairing, right? Transportation and land use always work together, right? There's an important relationship there. And so when you have a very low-density context, then road is the best way to serve travel needs in that. When you start getting increasing density, more people are coming, the area is more popular, then you want to create a way, not necessarily transit, because a bus needs a lot of people to operate. But if you get people living closer together, they can walk to the grocery store, they can walk to the concert venues, they can walk to the picnic area, they can walk to the trailheads. What are the reasons people are coming to that area? To enjoy the natural beauty, right? To enjoy, I don't know, there's a auction house up there I used to go to, right? So to enjoy some of these other kinds of amenities, which you can and you want to access them in different ways. So if every single trip you have has to get on the highway, then you're going to see increasing, ever increasing traffic, right? So if it's always to go to the big box store, then you're going to always have to get on the highway. That's going to be the only way. You're locking yourself into that kind of a land use pattern. If instead you focus your economic development strategies in Liberty or in some of the other cities that you've got, then people who live there can walk to something or they can drive a local road or they can bike or use some other way of getting around. And so you don't have every single trip moving onto the highway, getting off at the next exit, and so forth. So you can get the same transportation or the same travel, right? You meet by which I mean you get to the thing that you're going to do, right, by some other means, and so that way you have a natural traffic reduction. The one thing, because I've been to a couple of these these uh, press conferences for the expansion of Route 17. I've been to, I remember, Three years ago, I went to one in Middletown. They got a, a, together a, a whole bunch of town supervisors and village mayors for, for this project. And there was another one re- maybe a year ago in Middletown at the Middletown at the Galleria Mall in the parking lot, which was a huge press conference where a lot of uh, union workers were there, a lot of uh, business owners were there, and talking about the economic growth that upgrading the highway will bring. One thing your report mentions is the questions, you question whether making the roads wider really helps the economy and why investing in public transportation might be a better economic choice for our area. So construction jobs for highway building are good jobs until the project's done and then they evaporate. There's no more jobs. If you think about if you're focusing development in the town centers, then you might have a shuttle to get from town center to town center. And once you arrive there, you're going to walk around and relax and enjoy yourself. So you'll get more people and fewer vehicles in that regard. So if you're doing public transit jobs, you're paying drivers, you're paying mechanics, You're keeping all of that. You've got administrative jobs. You're keeping those jobs in the local economy. Those are salaries. Those people then are spending money in the restaurants or, again, at the grocery store, the hair salon, right? So you're circulating that money within the local economy. And you're so that's how you're keeping the money local. You built that road. And now, instead of money going into the local economy... The jobs are gone. People are buying cars. Money's going to Germany, Japan, other states in the U.S. They're buying gasoline. 
money's leaving. That's all money going out of the economy, the local economy, instead of having jobs that are in, that are there. And those construction jobs, you want, there's lots of other ways to fill those construction jobs, right? I'll bet the schools need some repairing. I'll bet the firehouse could get rebuilt. I'll bet their sidewalks could use repairing in a lot of places. So if you took that money and invested it still in infrastructure and had those good construction jobs, at the end of the day, you'd have a nicer place to live. And I don't know anybody who said, please widen the highway right in front of my house. That is not a nicer place to live. It's worse for the wildlife. There's more runoff. It's bad for nature. There's all kinds of reasons why that is not better. At the end of spending a billion dollars, where where do you want to live? I'd rather live where my local street is smooth and well-paved, where my sidewalks are not cracked. So invest in the aging infrastructure that many towns and villages have, and instead of giving those dollars outside to temporary jobs, construction jobs uh, that may come from projects like this. So how can people be more involved in deciding how roads are built in neighborhoods? What can communities do if they don't, if they agree with you and say, Hey, I don't want my road to be expanded. I think one thing is to, is to find out more about what these dynamics are, right? Read our report. I'll always say that. Read our report. Learn about how these things work. Because also, again, a lot of times, as I was saying at the beginning, a lot of times people think, Oh, if you just widen the highway, then it will be so much easier without thinking about that. It actually has these, a whole network of other implications. So talk to your neighbor. Make sure your neighbor understands what the issues are, right? And then talk to your local electeds. Electeds are very powerful. The state DOT wants to hear from electeds, right? So talk to the Chamber of Commerce. Talk to the economic development organizations. Let them know what you think. Let them know that there's a different way to think about it. What's interesting, you talked about press conferences about the project. There probably have been some press conferences, but also I think a lot of the meetings are to get the community involved, to get the community input, right? And so the people who go to those meetings are the people who are already plugged in. They've got some reason that they're paying attention. So everybody else needs to get the DOT does distribute information in theory. Everybody should know about it, but I don't know about you. I'm not paying attention to every piece of mail that comes in to my mailbox or comes into my email. And a lot of times I don't know what's going on. I'm paid to pay attention to these kinds of things. But if the question interests you, then find ways to get plugged in. The project has a website. Comments will be taken. But more important than giving those kinds of comments really is to get actively involved with the local mayors, the local councils, right to the governor. There's all sorts of ways to get involved with these kind of questions. Right. Dr. Weinberger, before we end this conversation, uh, is there anything else I have not touched on you want folks to know about either uh, the organization or the report? The only thing I'd say, Patricio, is, you know, I, it's a lovely part of the country. It's a, it's absolutely beautiful. I went to camp in Liberty, right? My grandparents had a hotel in Livingston Manor. I almost bought a, bought that property when it was for sale about 30, 35 years ago. And it's wonderful to share it also with everybody, but to do it in a way that is sustainable, that doesn't detract. You were talking about that before. It's more people come and natural resources don't get used up unless you use them up. So that beautiful view of the valley, it's not taken away from me by you also looking at it. That's really the definition of a public good, right? It's like, there it is for everybody to enjoy. But if we pave it over, if we keep with the greenhouse gas emissions, that's the way that we're going to run it down. So if you want a sustainable future, you want to preserve that beauty, and you want to share that beauty, then then we want to think about how are we going to do this in a forward-looking way rather than doing the same thing that for the past hundred years we we have evidence it has failed and failed, and there's almost no evidence of any place where that has been a successful solution to a congestion problem. I was talking to Dr. Rachel Weinberger chair for the transportation at regional planning association talking about a recent report that was released stating the potential negative impacts on a highway widening project like the route 17 project that's happening in our area thank you so much dr weinberger for joining us on the program do really appreciate it a pleasure being here patricio
Thanks so much. You can read more about the RPA's report at rpa.org. And there's more about the Route 17 highway widening project at dot.ny.gov. We'll take a break. And when we come back, WorkShift Live, James B. Huntington, local author and economist, is here with local perspective on the economy. This is Radio Chatskill. Radio Catskill supporters include Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery, brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor, CatskillBrewery.com. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. Hi there, this is Brian, host of The Secret Show. Friday nights at 9. I'll be playing a mix of indie, alternative, college, rock, and pop. Some new music and some old classics. That's The Secret Show, Friday nights at 9, only on Radio Catskill. Listen local. You're listening to Radio Chat Skill. I'm Tim Bruno, and we haven't heard that music for a couple of weeks. There was a holiday, and James B. Huntington was on holiday, but he's back. James B. Huntington joining us now for Work Shift Live. Good morning, James B. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, listeners. <laughs> well, we hope you're well-rested, and uh, we have a lot to tackle since we had a couple of weeks away there. Um, let's jump into it. The last quarter, the economy. How's it going? Very well. It grew at 3.3%. That's the GDP, gross domestic product. So... For the fourth quarter, that is, that's down from 4.9 for the third quarter, but it was expected by analysts that it would be less than the 3.3% it turned out at. Economy in general is looking very good. We have consumer prices. One indication is that they were down 1.7% in the last three months of the year. That's below the 2% they've been shooting for and not yet achieving. Then we have some concerns, a few areas of concern, like unemployment benefits are up a little bit, and there are a lot of credit card bills coming due. A lot of customers have been funding their spending with that. We have high interest rates. The effect of them now and here and worldwide are continuing to go through, and we have some possible problems otherwise in the world from conflict in the Middle East, independent to economic weakness in China that could have consequences. But generally, we're doing very well. Yeah, strong end to 2023. So does that seem like there's more growth ahead or or what are folks kind of saying? Yes, although eventually it will get down to a lower level, something like 2% instead of 3.3 is really a good going forward level for the U.S., but it could improve more, and there's really no sign out there now that it's going to improve any less. So the uh, economy grew and then inflation, inflation uh, how did that data, what did that data show? Did it pull back a little bit? Well, yes, we have another set of inflation data that came out actually two weeks ago Thursday. It's the, as of the end of 2023, it's gone down to hmm, 3.9, whoops, that's not 3.9%. It's it's come down, yeah, annually. It's it's come down to 3.4 percent mm-hmm. by this measure. It is a little more, but so it's 
we have month by month changes here what happened in December and motor vehicle insurance topped the list at one and a half percent increase electricity 1.3 airline fares 1.0 percent the ones that went down the most were fuel oil down five and a half percent just in that month and Piped utility gas service down four-tenths of a percent, and motor vehicle maintenance and repair actually dropped a bit to dropped three-tenths of a percent in the past month. So we are in good shape there. Also, we have wages going up still significantly. I'll have more on that for you next week with the jobs report. And a few other good signs I mentioned earlier. So inflation seems to be coming down. It's still significant. It depends on the measure and the actual length of time, but it is coming down, heading toward that 2% or and, better. And do you have some uh, jobs or unemployment numbers for, for our listening area? Yes. Oh, this, this is November data, the most recent available. Sullivan County is 3.5%. That's up 0.2 from October. Orange County held at 3.6%. Ulster, 3.5%, up one-tenth of a percent. Wayne held at 3.3%. And Pike County improved 0.3% and is now at 4.1%. By comparison, the national unadjusted rate was 3.5%, so we're real close to that as a listening area right now. Still, generally, we're doing the job. So this looks like it's going to be a busy week for the stock market. Why why is that? Why is it expected to be kind of a big week, a huge week for the stock market? Well, it's certainly going to be a big week as far as inputs to it. Have a few things going on. Tomorrow, we have earning results from Microsoft and Alphabet, a.k.a. Google, where especially investors are going to be interested in seeing what's happening with AI because there are some bearish signs forming there, and it will be interesting to know how these two gigantic companies are doing on the AI front. We have Wednesday... At 2 p.m., we're going to get an interest rate decision. Could be down a little, probably will be the same. Could be down a quarter of a percent, though. And a speech where the chair, Jerome Powell, is going to tell us some things at 2.30 on Wednesday afternoon. And then we have the jobs report, which is going to be out at Friday at 830, projecting 216,000 net new positions, which is up there. That's a, a high prediction, but then again, over the last several months, it's generally been beating the predictions. So, yeah, maybe, even if it's 216,000 or a little less, that's still excellent. Yeah, just uh, and checking now, it looks like stocks have risen slightly this morning as traders await these tech earnings and that fed meeting uh we'll keep an eye on that but let's uh let's talk about where things landed last week where did the where did the stock oil and all the prices end up last week and how did they change yes well this is actually a three-week oh yeah (laughs) um, spread here yes but over the past three weeks well gold is now at 2029 an ounce up a dollar silver 23 dollars and two cents up six cents so Neither one of them are really doing anything. They're just hanging on right now. However, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 643 to 38,109, and the NASDAQ did even better, a lot better, 15,455 with a, for a gain of 931. Both of those are doing absolutely superbly. Now, oil, the usual West Texas Intermediate, is at 78.11, which is up over $5. Now, according to my informal, non-exhaustive survey, it's showing up at the pumps in some areas and not in others. So it may be up. It may be up a dime or 20 cents for ordinary gas because 
That is up significantly. Bitcoin, 42,246, dropped about 1,500. It's really just fluctuated down. British pound, $1.27, up half a cent. And the euro at $1.08.5, up nine-tenths of a cent. So the pound has been creeping up, and the euro going down somewhat more, but it, we'll see. I mean, this will be connected with the interest rates decision we find out about. And the Japanese 100 yen coin down two cents to 67 cents. All right. A lot to, to get through. James V. Huntington, local economist and author with Workship Live every Monday, except when there's a holiday or when you're on holiday. But we, we got, we'll see you for a couple of weeks at least now, right? <laughs> thank you, Tim, and thank you, listeners. All right. Thanks, James V. We'll see you next Monday. We'll take a break, and when we come back, Erin Shearer is eating upstate, and today she's visiting the Morning Sunshine Market in Ellenville. This is Radio Chatskill. This week on the Retro Cocktail Hour, we'll hear the mambo beat of Tito Puente, private eye jazz from a 50s film noir, and the exotic sounds of Arthur Lyman. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Why not join me where the music's shaken, not stirred? The Retro Cocktail Hour on Radio Catskill, Wednesday night at 7. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Morning Sunshine Market is a specialty grocer and breakfast, brunch, and lunch restaurant in Ellenville, New York. For her Eating Up State segment, Erin Shearer took a visit. In the nearly four years they have made the Ellenville area their home, Tori Messner and Natalia Moena have already made their mark on the community. They opened Reservoir Studio co-founded the organization Coalition of Forward-Facing Ellenville, and last May they opened Morning Sunshine, which has been described by Chronogram Magazine as, quote, a full-service market, cafe, and specialty grocer all rolled into one. Morning Sunshine's motto is building community, inspiring minds, and nourishing bellies, and it is the subject of today's Eating Upstate. Tori Messner is a graphic designer, and Natalia Moena is a beauty and food photographer who previously worked in the hospitality industry. In 2018, they bought a weekend house in Napanock with the plan to eventually become full-time residents. The COVID-19 pandemic accelerated those plans, and after forming relationships within the community, they decided to stay. Here's Tori Messner speaking on how they made that decision. I think a lot of it came down to the community that we formed up here. And that paired with we had always had that five-year plan to be up here full-time. Once the pandemic hit, we had the opportunity. I had the opportunity to work remotely. We did establish a studio in Ellenville that allowed us to have photo shoots, do design work, meet with like local business owners. And so we really started to create our own industry up here. You know, there wasn't really a lot of jobs for us, so we made our own. Yeah, and in that studio, I also got to do what I do, which is photography. And because it was a large space and it was during the pandemic, we were able to stay six feet apart and, and it was it was a perfect space for us. Reservoir Studio was a full-service branding, production, and social media consulting firm. According to Messner, they worked with several local businesses on revamping their brands. Well, I think that as far as big city branding goes, our prices are very different for local, <laughs> local businesses. Um, but it was actually allowing access to like outdoor photo shoots, photo shoots with spaces for um, our New York City clients. And so it felt a little bit like a combination of both. It was trying to create a new industry up here, keeping in mind what what is needed and what can be afforded and and also keeping our 
paychecks coming in <laughs> during the pandemic. And we did a lot of branding too. So Natalia's a photographer, beauty and food photographer, and I am a graphic designer and brand brand director. So I've helped helped other local restaurants rebrand. I've helped new businesses with their logos and visual identities. So there was there was that element too. Messner and Moena were founding members of the nonprofit organization Coalition of Forward Facing Ellenville, or Coffee, a nonprofit organization focused on uniting longtime residents and recent transplants while maintaining Ellenville's unique character. Coffee's initiatives include movies in the mountains, artist meet and greets, and Market on Market, a farm and craft market focused on showcasing both local farmers and artisans. So Natalia and I are uh, two of the founding members. I am currently uh, still the president of the Coalition of Forward Facing Ellenville. We call ourselves Coffee. No relation to the coffee that we serve at Morning Sunshine. There's about 100 members of us now. Uh, our board is 10 members. Makes It's made up of different people and different professions, but there is a heavy lean into the artistic world. So we got our footing with a lot of small business owners and artists wanting to make people proud to live in Ellenville, create community events and things for people to do, and really, you know, help form that diversity of industry too. We, a lot of our initial events were market on market, which Natalia can tell you a little bit about. So Market on Market was, I guess, my need and desire to be able to bring food and accessibility to people. It was a farmers and artisans market. I think the timing was just right. It was 2021. There were a lot of new people in Elville, a lot of people just in general that wanted to go outside and, and restrictions or people were actually able to go outside more freely and more comfortably. So it was hugely successful. We would have like 500 people come at each event, each market. It was just, but what I also saw was that people just wanted a place to socialize and they felt comfortable doing it outdoors. They also were able to get produce, talk to the farmers and see the artisans. And like, it was just, it was, it was fantastic. So that was like one of the events that coffee helped. And then a couple other ones were our Movies in the Mountains, which is an outdoor free movie event that we do once or twice a month, depending on the season. And artist meet and greets, where we would host one local artist who would have a little bit of a lecture, a little bit of a show and tell. And then it was an opportunity for those interested in the arts and those in the arts to meet in Ellenville and form connections with one another. In the fall of 2021... Messner and Moena opened Morning Sunshine as a pop-up at Reservoir Studio. In contrast to the seasonal market-on-market, Morning Sunshine operates year-round and, to quote Messner, goes beyond just local goods and gives people access to food and flavors from around the world. Again, like, my desire to, like, food is everything to me. Um, I enjoy cooking it. I enjoy eating it. I think it's a wonderful thing to like, it brings people together. Um, I also worked in hospitality and food industry for over a decade in the city. And I kind of missed that, having that up here. So first, it first started sort of with Market on Market, the farmers and artisans market in Elmville. And then we decided to do a brick and mortar sort of version of that. Yeah. And I think that also kind of weaves back into our initiatives with coffee, where we really wanted to help fill the empty storefronts in Ellenville. And we kept, you know, telling others to do it. And at some point we're like, well, we need to do what we're telling others to do. It's been an amazing journey and it's actually as successful or more successful than we were hoping. So uh, (laughs) I think so far so good. Yeah. With the success of the initial pop-up, Messner and Moena began looking for spaces where they could open Morning Sunshine as a permanent operation. Unable to find space downtown, they came across a rundown storage building that suited their needs. When we found it, 
I think it was a forgotten corner a little bit, broken windows. I think it looked pretty dilapidated if anyone noticed the building at all. So it was, we were very lucky to be able to work with local municipality and a lot of really talented folks to, you know, bring it back to life, bring it back to life and really activate the mountain gateway area of Ellenville. That's like on the comprehensive, the most recent comprehensive plan of Ellenville. They lay out that the mountain gateway is really the entrance to Minnewaska Park and Sam's Point and that we needed to help bring that back to life. Morning Sunshine opened in May of 2023. Among the offerings at Morning Sunshine are staples like egg and cheese, bacon egg and cheese, and grilled cheesy, a grilled cheese sandwich made with Gruyere and caramelized onion, as well as the Morning Sunshine, which features scrambled eggs, labna, and harissa ketchup on ciabatta. A soprasada sammy, a sandwich made with soprasada, roasted red peppers, burrata, chimchurri, and arugula on a baguette. And the vegan cauliflower sammy, with roasted cauliflower, white bean hummus, and marinated kale on ciabatta. Although Moena has prior restaurant experience, working at Morning Sunshine offers her a new challenge. And this time I'm going back of house. So I'm actually doing, I'm in the kitchen cooking. So that has been an interesting transition because managing a kitchen from being a server or a manager is, is way different, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I, we have a great team that we're building and in anticipation that spring summer is going to be pretty busy. I, yeah, I'll, as the sort of food styler in a lot of situations, I'll say that the fun thing about having that creative eye and now making the food for people is understanding that you eat with more than just your belly. You can eat with your eyes. And so Natalia and a lot of the people that work here are great at plating the food, making it look delicious and taste delicious. And that creative background has also helped me in the front of house with visual merchandising, understanding packaging design, communicating um, elements of what we are offering. Morning Sunshine sources from places like Eating Upstate alumni La Salamina in Hurleyville, eggs from Ruddy Rock Farms also in Ellenville, duck from LaBelle Farms in Ferndale, and lark honey in Mamacating. They also work with distributors like Hudson Harvest, based out of Germantown in Columbia County, and the New Paltz-based Veritas, from whom they source sausages and other meats. Morning Sunshine also carries a selection of vegan products. I think a lot of our friends are vegan. (laughs) Um, I think both that and gluten-free, we've found that when there's a group of, you know, four-plus individuals having a little bit of something for everyone doesn't ostracize anyone. We've noticed that restaurants in the area, you'll go you'll go with a vegan friend and there is nothing and there might only be one vegetarian option on the menu. So it was important to offer what others didn't. And as far as the merchandise, you just you'd be surprised how many products are naturally vegan. I think we just do a, a we just try to call it out. <laughs> yeah. And we we were really successful or people really liked when we had uh, vegan and gluten-free baked goods. So that kind of spawned the idea, like when we did the pop-up. So that kind of spawned the idea. I'm like, okay, this is, this is like something that perhaps isn't offered enough in the area. So why not, why not offer it? And, you know, just because it's vegan or gluten-free does not mean that it's, you can't have it if you eat meat (laughs) or gluten, no. It can still taste good. Messner and Moena have closed Reservoir Studio to focus on morning sunshine, although they continue to work in graphic design and photography. Their plans for morning sunshine this year include carrying more artisans in the front of house, as well as expanding their hours and hosting more events in morning sunshine space.
I think a lot of the front of house were trying to get more like uh, artisans in here too for this year. So we have a soap that's made uh, to, to, to tall in the Catskills, lots of ceramics from Mountaindale and Wurtsboro. So it's really just fun having people kind of come in and say, look, I make this. Can you guys carry it? And <laughs> if it tastes good, if it's yeah. uh, quality or if it's beautiful, we we will. <laughs> Well, some of our short-term goals, like we, we did just open. We are currently open Thursdays through Sundays. In the spring, we hope to be, we hope to be open for at least five days a week. We do have a backspace that we are working on still up for debate what we're going to be doing with that. Yeah, TBD. And we have a couple dinner parties uh, and nighttime pop-up events that we'll be doing in the winter too. And hopefully, keeping fingers crossed, having the farmer's market be moved to Morning Sunshine property. Morning Sunshine is located at 3-5 Clinton Avenue in Ellenville. I'm Erin Shear. Eating Upstate is a production of WJFF Radio Catskill. And welcome back to Radio Catskill. This is... Tim Bruno here with a few special guest stars. Side effects may vary. A sci-fi horror movie is premiering tomorrow at the Calicoon Theater for their Twisted Tuesdays series. A Q&A with the filmmaker, writer, and cast follows the screening. Joining us this morning is one of the stars of the film, Catskills resident Sasha Graham, and the co-producer of Twisted Tuesdays at the Calicoon Theater and moderator of the Q&A, Heather Carlucci, who also host the podcast Psychic Pool Party. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> How are you guys? Thanks Good for time. having us. I love it. Side effects may vary. Psychic Pool Party, this sounds like fun. Uh, so, Sasha, can you tell us a little bit about Side Effects May Vary and the plot of this sci-fi horror movie and the, the pivotal role that you play? This is an oopy, goopy, body <laughs> horror comedy <laughs> outrageousness like you have never seen before. Morning, sunshine. It is about a (laughs) vaccine, a pandemic vaccine gone horribly wrong, and I play the doctor Uh who injects it. Uh So it's all your fault? Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Well, I I usually play the murderer in almost every film I ever do, so I'm not out of character for this one. So side effects may vary, directed by cult indie icon J.R. Bookwalter, who also did The Dead Next Door and Ozone, and it's a a screenplay from James L. Edwards, who's also the star um, and, and they'll both be there tomorrow night too. Yeah. Yeah. They're, so they're, they're on a, a cross country theatrical roadshow with this film. We're playing lots and lots of dates around the country. So you guys are like opening this in different venues throughout the country. And then you guys, I guess, Sasha, you, you connected with Heather about bringing it to Calicoon. How did That's this right. come about? That's right. Where I know Heather, uh, for, for ages and I knew that she was producing this twisted Tuesday and I was like, Oh, Heather, I have the Perfect, delicious piece of indie horror for you. And she was right. So I went to Chrissy from the Calicoon Theater and I said, what do you think? And what do you think if we do the Q&A and record it for my podcast, The Psychic Pool Party, and just make a huge event out of it? Like, hopefully even bigger than they had hoped is what my, so everybody has to come. And so we're really looking forward to it. I think it'll be, A, it'll be a riot because... Sasha and I, everything turns into a riot with the two of us. <laughs> Plus, and, the, the plot of the movie sounds like it's kind of a fun, campy sort of take on sci-fi horror, too. It, it is. I mean, it's, it's to be honest with you, for a low-budget horror movie, it's surprisingly good, which is why I'm so excited to bring it to people, <laughs> because I literally watched it. That's why and I'm fell supporting off. it. <laughs> it's so fantastic. And, like, Brink Stevens, who's an iconic scream queen, she's in the movie, and it's just kind of uproarious. It plays on all of the craziness that happened for everybody during the pandemic, um, and it's just incredibly infectious, no pun intended, and, and watchable. <laughs> So Twisted Tuesdays at the Calicoon Theater, we should note that Calicoon Theater is a supporter of WJFF, but Twisted Tuesdays is a way to like sort of liven up the winter and bring in some fun, different programming. Yeah. Around September, I, I me and a couple friends had the idea to sort of have something at the theater, you know, something a little bit more offbeat, subculture. And we talked to Chrissy about it and she's like, let's do every Tuesday in October and lead right up into Halloween. And it went so well, like people really showed for it. And then 
we thought, well, hey, could we keep doing it through the winter? Because winters get a little gray around here and we need something like another thing to go to, another thing to have happen. So we were waiting until the holidays were over because holidays are holidays. Uh And so luckily, the first one out of the gate is going to be this really great, very fun, very goofy and very subculture horror premiere. And you have some other stuff planned or are you still working on it? We have some other stuff planned. We haven't planned like what the dates are, but hopefully they'll be like the last Tuesday of each month. And then Psychic Pool Party, your podcast, can you tell people what Psychic Pool Party is about? Sure, absolutely. So I'm a psychic medium. So, and this is my podcast. And what I wanted to do is bring in all the amazing people that I meet who also do what I do and often very differently. And that sort of went into basically, I'm obsessed with the creative process. So we have musicians, we have artists, we have more psychics. Obviously, we have a lot of people who talk about death and grief because that comes obviously into our lane as well. Um, you can hear Sasha actually in. Uh, second episode, first season, because Sasha is actually an extremely prolific tarot writer and teacher and has designed many, many decks, like far, far before this trend of tarot. So it's really, I mean, you know, basically anybody can come on if I want to interview you. (laughs) (laughs) And Sasha, you've been taking uh, the side effects may vary film around. Where have you guys been so far? uh, And and what's the reaction been? So the director and the screenwriter have been taking it around. This tour has just kicked off. I believe they're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I think tonight they're in Philadelphia yeah, tonight, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, uh, tomorrow night, Calicoon. The next night, I'm hitching a ride with them up to Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, they're just, they're going everywhere, and it's going to commence in Germany in a festival in Germany. Yeah, tell us about this festival. It is, uh, what, it has an interesting name. Oh, yeah, the Weekend of Fear. Weekend <laughs> of Fear, exactly. We're keeping it light. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, Sunshine. Good morning, Sunshine. It's the theme for today. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody's more enthusiastic about, you know, our subculture than Germany, right? And <laughs> so it's just a great opportunity for the horror community to come together around all these movies and celebrate the, the insanity. So this is uh, this is uh, coming up in June. So you're traveling around with this mm-hmm. through, through June. What, what kind of what attracts you to a role like this, like the 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 evil doctor infecting everybody? I can't tell you how <laughs> Cathartic it is to murder people on screen, and, and, it, it, and I, I didn't go when, when I was an actor in the '90s. Like I just got cast, like anything that was supernatural and occult and sort of killery. That's what I would be cast as. And so, I mean, who? I am not going to say no to that, right? And here I am, twenty years later, still playing roles, playing like killers and and vampires and werewolves, and so. It's so super fun. <laughs> Not something you're doing in your normal Catskills existence, really. Definitely. Uh, we, <laughs> hope definitely. Not. we hope not. <laughs> not that we know of. And the, this film actually marks the return of uh, Bookwalter's return to the director's mm-hmm. chair after a 23-year absence, J.R. Bookwalter. Yeah. Uh, you know, cult figure here. What's it like working with J.R.? So J.R. and I worked together in the 90s, which is how we know each other. And so we are all part of this really cool subculture of uh, horror films that would go straight into Blockbuster, even though they were low budget. We'd be on the shelf right next to big budget films. Um, so we're part of a film community that made a lot of movies back then. Um, and so it was so much fun to reunite with him. It was just like being on the 90s horror set all over again <laughs> 20 years later. The crew was just a lot younger. <laughs> <laughs> what, where did you guys shoot and how long did that all, all take? So they, uh, out in Ohio, Akron, Ohio. And I think the, I think the, I was only there shooting for two days, but I think they shot for about three weeks in mm-hmm. total. Yeah. And there was a lot of night shoots. There's a lot there. As you'll see in the movie, there's a lot of special effects. There's a lot of body, it's body horror. So. <laughs> A lot of post-production. Yeah. Was There's very, a lot of intestines. Yeah. I will say that. <laughs> Lots of goop. Lots of goop. Heather, why, why do you think folks will, will uh, be attracted to a film like this, uh, especially like in the gray of winter? Well, I think, first of all, it is m- largely very funny. And I think we we those of us, I think, of a certain age remember a lot of the very campy horror films of like the 80s and the 90s. And I think 
that will draw a lot of people out. I also think, and I was a little bit hesitant about what I was about to watch it because I have seen the whole movie, um, because it does deal with, you know, pandemic and it deals with vaccines and sort of, I was like, Oh goodness, where is this going to go? But I feel that it really ended up being a purge for like, all the pressures all of us felt, no matter what your belief systems are, yeah. it's like a good way to just like laugh at everybody's ridiculousness. And I think we really need that right now. Yeah, we probably we, we need to get that purge of that collective experience out. I yeah, guess. no matter what side you fell on. And You're- also this genre is like people making movies just for the sake of making movies. It's like somebody else made something and it's not... We were talking about it earlier, like that's this goal oriented thing. And it's just this, we're making stuff because we enjoy making stuff. And I think that really is going to really hit the heart of this area because this really is such a creative area. And you guys are kind of ticking off that uh, pandemic theme here too. There's the free surgical mask. For yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Anybody who shows up tomorrow night and buys a ticket, there is a free uh, pandemic side effects mask with your name on it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. Let's remind folks again. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we're also having an after party at the uh, Calicoon Brewery. Oh, so yeah. there you go. Join us. There you go. Join us. So let's remind folks again about what's uh, the time and, and all that. So it's tomorrow night at 730 at the Calicoon Theater. Side effects may vary. And then right after is the Q&A uh, with the filmmaker, screenwriter, and Of course, Sasha. Sasha. And then yes. I guess the screenwriter is also the star, too. So you get the two-for-one cast members there. Mm-hmm. And then going over to the brewery. Right. And then we'll celebrate and hopefully we'll try and do it again soon. Okay, good. And is there more information online about the film or anything else that folks can find? Yeah, you can find an Eventbrite for Side Effects May Vary um, and RSVP there for under Sasha Graham's Eventbrite. You can find it on Facebook as well, the Side Effects May Vary Facebook invite. And it's also on the Calicoon Theater. That's right. Uh, Calicoon Theater. Yes. And also the Psychic Pool Party. And Psychic like Pool Party, wherever you get Instagram. Okay, That's right. Instagram. And it's uh, more information at thecalicoontheater.com. Thank you guys so much, Heather Carlucci, Sasha Graham. Uh, thanks Thank for, you, Tim. for having a fun morning with us. And I hope you have a fun night tomorrow, a fun Twisted Tuesday. Woohoo. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> See you there. All right. That's all for this edition of Radio Chat Skill. You can hear this episode, previous episodes, and check out all of our locally produced programming. Just go to our website, wjffradio.org. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening. Support for Radio Catskill comes from JeffWorks Office Solutions, located right on Main Street in Jeffersonville, New York, a newly renovated pet-friendly office space that rents by the day, week, or month with hot desks, sound-insulated rooms, Wi-Fi, modern amenities, and 24-hour secure access. Online at jeffworksjville.com. And from The Cooperage Project, thecooperageproject.org. And listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. CDC recommends everyone six months and older get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect against the potentially serious outcomes of COVID-19 illness this winter. To find COVID-19 vaccine locations near you, text your zip code to 438-829, call 1-800-232-0233, or go to wjffradio.org, where you'll find a vaccine locator and COVID tracker. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Hi, this is Marco Werman, host of The World. Weekdays at 3, our newsroom connects you with events around the globe. Our reporters in the Americas, Africa, Europe, and Asia get to the heart of the day's news. We bring you international perspectives on issues worldwide and here in the U.S. It's one hour each day that broadens horizons and takes you beyond our borders. Join me on The World, afternoons at 3, on Radio Catskill. On Point is next, and at one, it's Hidden Brain. The forecast for today looks like mostly cloudy and breezy, high of 34. Tonight's low 21. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy and a high of 31. And also looking at uh, some snow possible late Thursday night through Friday afternoon. We'll keep an eye on it. You're listening to Radio Catskill, local news, culture, and NPR. Thank you.
Radio Catskill, keeping you connected with the local edition. Weeknights at 6, right after All Things Considered. The local edition, only on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill, on your radio at 90.5 FM or streaming online at wjffradio.org.